This podcast is a production of Community Covenant Church in Eagle River, Alaska, a place where real people meet a real God to live in a real world. For more information, check out our website at communitycovenant.net. The scripture reading this morning is from John, chapter 13, starting from verse 1 through 5. It was just before the Passover festival... Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Dan, come on up. I'm, I'm introducing Pastor Dan. I don't know that he needs a introduction, but Pastor Dan has been our developer pastor with our new church plant, uh, Chugach Covenant. Been doing that for about a year. They meet at Totem Theater, so a a lot of that we already know. And um, kind of an interesting thing is that you've got a service there at 10 o'clock. So this is going to be a real short sermon. No. um, I'm already done. I was just here to say hi. He... No, but he's going to be... Notice how they laugh, like, yes! Yeah, about the short sermon, yeah. So, when he's done preaching, they're going to be starting over there. So he's going to be driving the speed limit to get there in time to... I'm uh, driving a speed limit. <laughs> Welcome. Thank we're, you. We're glad to just keep in touch. I was going to say check up on you, and that's not really it, but, you know, to keep in touch with that relationship. Thanks. Thanks. Well, I was uh, one of the first roles in communication type school is you have to address the elephant in the room. And for me, I am no longer that elephant for you that have known me. Thank you. (laughs) That was probably one of the roles that you tell you not to. Good morning. (laughs) I broke one of the roles by saying that, but oh well. So I'm a rule breaker. It is good to be back. It makes me feel like I'm kind of coming home to see everybody here. And uh, it is great to see you. Uh, I'm excited for today. As Keith said, I'll be preaching here and Chugach Covenant. And uh, that really that energizes me. I'm excited to be able to share God's Word uh, a few times today. Um, so thank you for that opportunity. It is good to be back. And uh, Brad asked me to give you a quick, a quick uh, update on Chugach. And uh, I'll just tell you really quickly, it's going pretty well. We're uh, uh, continuing to grow and, and see God move. And um, since September, when we launched officially, we've seen somewhere in the ballpark of 40, 45 to 50 um, uh, conversions, people who have accepted Jesus to be their Lord and Savior. And uh, I want to commend you as our parent church in that um, we're not going to share our jewels in heaven, but uh, you guys definitely have a say, a, a part of that. And we want to thank you for, for that um, wholeheartedly, because you've given us the opportunity to bring the gospel uh, to a lot of people who haven't heard it. Um, I've just finished up going through the book of John, the Gospel of John, and um, well, ironically today I'm in John, but just finished going through the Gospel of John, and uh, uh, stories like the woman at the well, probably 40% of our congregation had never heard the story. So we're reaching a lot of people who are completely unfamiliar with the, the Bible, um, and it's good, and we, and we love doing that. 
The week was uh, getting strange. The people have been following their teacher all all over the place, and then this this one week has been just. It seems like things have been coming more and more frequently. And the miracles have been happening. And people have been acting strange, celebrating one minute, ready to cast the stone the next. And here it is, preparing for the Passover. And the, 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 the guys that get together with their teacher. And the Passover meal, it's different than the ones in the past. Just like this week has been going kind of in a strange way, so is this night. So is this day with their teacher. The teacher says some things that makes the followers say, what is happening? This is a different kind of day. This is a strange day. And there may have been an eerie silence in the room. The teacher then again amazes everybody in the room. Those in the room knew who the teacher was at this point. They knew that the teacher was sent from God. Not just a prophet. Not just a man. But the Holy Son of God. And he gets up. He grabs a towel and he ties it around his waist. And he starts going to his followers and gets on his knees. And he begins to wash their feet. Things just took a strange turn again. What an odd feeling. Peter's like, no, Lord, you're not going to wash my feet. Don't wash my feet. I'm too unworthy for you to wash my feet. The teacher never stops teaching. He says, Peter, unless I wash all of you, you have no inheritance with me. Peter says, well, then wash all of me, Lord. It's been a strange week. It's been a strange night. And there is this sense of something's coming in the room. But nobody can get the past, the idea that the Lord of this universe is on his knees in front of them washing their feet. Can you imagine? Can you imagine being in that room? Can you imagine being one of those disciples when the Lord of the universe gets on his knees and washes your feet? Can you even fathom a more humbling experience? I can't. And this is why I absolutely love this text. I feel like I say this every time I preach, but this is one of my favorite stories. <laughs> I absolutely love this story because Jesus continues to do the unexpected, always doing the unexpected. What we would typically think would be good leadership of this self-asserting kind of attitude and taking ground where, where you don't already have it. What, what we would normally think would be good leadership, Jesus turns it on its head. He says, no, that's not good leadership. Let me show you what good leadership is. Good leadership is stepping off your throne in heaven, taking off your robe and tying a service cloth around your waist and washing your followers' feet. Now that's good leadership. That's good leadership. I go to, uh, I get the opportunity to go to a lot of different uh, leadership conferences. Um, I was in one just, uh, uh, I don't know, a couple of months ago now in California. And one of my favorite speakers is Patrick Lencioni. A lot of you have probably heard Patrick Lencioni. He does the Willow Creek Summit. He seems like every year. and We'll be doing it again this year. Um, by the way, Community Cove here and Chugach, we're both partner churches. So if you want information on that, this is a free advertisement. You can get that in the lobby. Um, I, I highly recommend it. Great stuff. But whenever I go to a leadership conference, there's always different types of leadership style that's discussed, whether it be a secular uh, conference or a church-type uh, uh, conference for pastors and, le- and leaders in the church. There's always different leadership styles that are discussed. And, and it's almost cliche when somebody gets up and starts talking about um, servant leadership. 
See, Patrick Lencioni, what he talks about most is organizational health. Now, I'm not going to stay there very long because it bores me. But he talks a lot about organizational health, and he can do a much better job of it than I can. But, but at the root of what he's talking about, really, are leaders who are willing to serve their followers. That really gets to the root. How many of you in here lead someone? You can raise your hand. It's okay. Someone. Okay, probably more than that, right? Probably all of us at some point in our life or in some aspect of our life have some sort of leadership that we, that we do. Uh, if, you have, if you don't lead somebody, how many here is, uh, is led by somebody? Every husband in the room should have their hand up right now. I see all the wives looking at you. Put your hand up. <laughs> you know he's talking to you. You know who's in charge here. <laughs> we all probably lead somebody, and a lot of us are led by people too. In fact, all of us are probably led by somebody and lead somebody else. It's just part of, of, of who we are. For the kids in the room, you're definitely led by somebody, and you may not have a lot of leadership now, but at one point in your life, you will probably be leading people. So I want to tell you that this, this is important. And what Jesus does here in this beautiful picture is, is should be serve as motivation for all of us to really embrace what servant leadership is. To take and make a great trade. And today we're going to talk about making a great trade. And when I talk about making a great trade, this is what I'm talking about trading. Trading our authority in a relationship to serve someone else. Because really, that's what servant leadership is about. We have authority in our relationships. And when we take that authority in our relationship and we trade it and use it for serving somebody else, it's an incredible thing. And that's what Jesus models here. Jesus models this better than any, any one of us could ever do. And he does it in an incredible way. Jesus takes what's normally understood as strong leadership. Again, this authoritative, self-asserting style of leadership. Saying, hey, I'm your leader. You'll follow me. Now let me ask you a question. Did Jesus have every right, being the Son of God, to come down and say, hey, you're going to do what I said because I said to do it? Did he have every right to do that and have that sort of attitude? Absolutely. Absolutely. We're all servants of God. Some of us just haven't realized it yet. He has every bit the, the uh, ability to come down and say, guys, this isn't, this isn't, it's kind of like a lot of my good parenting style. Like kids, you know, when they ask you what or why, it's like, no, just because I said so, let's go. Jesus could have had the same attitude with us, couldn't he? Very easily. He had every right to do so. But what he did instead, and this is one story that's kind of the culmination of several, what he does instead is he trades that authority, he uses that authority to serve other people. And that's what really true service looks like. It's trading our authority in for serving other people. You see, something happens when we use our authority to serve others. Walls begin to come down in relationships. Now, this is important because I'm talking a lot about servant leadership, so we, we, we tend to think corporately. But I want you to think individually and on a family level. What, is, what, is, what happens when no strings attached, you don't expect anything from your spouse or your parent or your children, and you say, I'm going to serve you. I'm going to serve you humbly. And when, I, when I'm serving you, this is what I mean. I'm going to take the authority that I do have in our relationship, and I'm going to trade it in for the opportunity to serve you. What happens? Walls come down. Trust is built. Relationships grow stronger. And in the corporate world, in our leadership, instead of losing leadership credibility, you gain leadership credibility. You want to see people start really following your lead? Start serving them and find out what happens. 
You start serving your staff. You start serving the people who are around you and find out what happens. The walls will come down and they'll really begin to follow because now they trust you and they trust your leadership. Now, if you are a note taker, go ahead and grab your pen and show me so I can see which one of you I can make fun of later. Okay, just kidding. Write these five things down, okay? Because there's five things, I believe, that keep us from being Jesus-following servant leaders. As I'm thinking through this, it's like, okay, if you go to any leadership seminar, probably in the, in the country, if not the world, they're going to talk about servant leadership. And, and they're going to they're talk about it a lot. And there'll probably be several different speakers who will kind of take different angles but end up in the same place. So it must be important. It must work. So what would stop us from being servant leaders? And here's five things I believe will stop us from being Jesus-following servant leaders. Number one is pride. Pride. Now, corporately, if we have people who um, answer to us, we like using words like, answer to us. Yeah, that's right. You answer to me, buddy. I'm the boss. I'm the one in charge here. And it comes from pride. We like to think of ourselves as more than we really are. And that's the danger with pride. If anybody here has had a relationship or worked for a really prideful person, nobody gets it. Wow, you get that luck. Okay. Man, it must just be me. It's, it's like unbearable being in a relationship with somebody, of any kind of relationship, with somebody who's super prideful. You don't trust them because you're thinking all the time, this person is only out for themselves. They're looking out for themselves and they have no interest in me. Pride is, I think, the number one reason why, uh, one, number one barrier for us becoming uh, Jesus-following servant leaders. The second one is this, it's laziness. Can I tell you something? Servant leadership is hard. It's not easy. It doesn't come naturally. It's hard work. And honestly, it's easier for us as leaders, or it's easier for us in relationships, to not serve other people. Because true service is taking the authority that you've been given in a relationship and trading it in to serve somebody. That's not easy to do. It's very difficult. And for you parents, let me tell you, I can speak, I have four kids, and, and my wife and my two teenage daughters are in Michigan right now, so it's me and a six-year-old six boy and an eight-year-old boy. All right? Nobody feels bad for me. Everybody's looking at me like, yes, so. The dads are like, dude, I feel you. The moms are like, yeah, welcome to my world, buddy. <laughs> Before my wife left, I'm like, I can't, I can't believe you're doing this to me. And she's looking at me. She's like, shut up. <laughs> I, I do this all the time. What do you do? I'm like, I preach. <laughs> and she laughed too. <laughs> I have no idea what I was talking about anymore. Laziness. It's difficult for us to serve other people. It just doesn't come naturally. It's not easy for us to do. It's hard work. The third thing is this. It's a lack of concern. Being apathetic to other people and to their feelings. A church I was at in Michigan that I was, I was working in, I had a guy come to me and he was really distressed. Really distressed. And he says, is that Dan, he's like, I've got I to talk to you. I haven't talked to anybody about this. And I really need your advice on this thing. I said, what's the matter? Really, seemingly like a great guy. I shouldn't say seemingly. A great guy. Um, I love to hang out with him. He says, Dan, when things happen to my family, when things happen to my friends, um, I don't... He goes, this is really hard for me, but I don't care. It doesn't bother me. Like, I don't, I don't have any bad feelings when bad things happen to my friends and family. He's like, I just feel kind of apathetic towards it. He's like, is that wrong? He's like, I don't feel any compassion. And I said, well, yeah, kind of. <laughs> 
you know, the crazy thing about this is he, he went to a different pastor after that conversation, and the other pastor said, no, that's fine. <laughs> Seriously. And it kind of like floored me. I'm like, well, you know what? This guy Jesus was somewhat compassionate, and we're supposed to kind of try to model what he is. So, yeah, you should probably feel some compassion. So I'm telling you this because there are legitimately people who have a lack of concern, and they're not going to serve other people, frankly, because they, they don't, they're not concerned with it. And I, I would never have thought to even bring this up if that person hadn't come to me. So I can only assume he's not the only one out there that has a lack of concern or a lack of compassion. So I'll tell you what I told him, just in case you're that person. Pray about it. Ask God to give, him, give you your heart, his heart for other people. Ask God that he will give you his heart for other people. Because God definitely demonstrates compassion throughout scriptures and throughout our lives, as we should as well. So if you are that person, and maybe you do feel compassion, you know what? Ask God for more. It's a good thing to have. It's a good thing to be concerned for other people. That's when we model Christ-likeness, is when we have compassion for others. We show love to other people. The fourth thing is this. The fourth and fifth both have to do with fear, by the way. The fourth one is this. Fear that we will lose power in the relationship. This is a legitimate concern for a lot of people. If I give up my authority willingly and use it to serve somebody else, that puts them in a position of authority over me. And I really don't want to do that. Well, that comes from an attitude of fear. Fear. The fifth one, fear that it makes us look weak. Now, in in today's time, it's a little bit different than it was a few years ago, but the the feeling of having your... you, You don't want people to think, if you're a leader... Or a lot of, naturally anyways, you don't want people to think that you're weak. You don't want people to see your weakness. You want, to see, you want them to see you as a strong leader. And sometimes, we, we allow that fear of looking weak stop us from serving other people. Can I tell you all these five things? They're not good, legitimate reasons not to be servant leaders. They're not. In fact, all of them have their root in sin. We need to be Jesus-following servant leaders. If Jesus can leave the throne and get on his hands and knees and wash his disciples' feet, how should we respond with other people? How should we treat the people who are in our sphere of influence? How should we treat our employees, our employers? How should we treat our families? How should we treat our spouses? There's a story that, uh, at least for me, was very timely this week. A lot of you have heard it. Um, it's from about the Delta CEO, and I was in USA Today. I'm going to read just part of it. Um, Delta Airlines CEO Richard Anderson is in the travel spotlight today, well, this week, after he gave up a seat on an oversold Delta flight so that a mother could ta- uh, make it home to Atlanta. The mother, Jesse Frank, was flying from Washington Reagan National Airport to Atlanta on June 13th. Unbeknownst to Delta employees, Frank was anxious to make it home to Atlanta in time to pick up her 12-year-old daughter who was at a Georgia summer camp for kids with type 1 diabetes. But Frank's travels didn't go smoothly once she got to the airport. The two-hour flight turned into an entire day at the airport after a series of delays and cancellations, and she began to fear she'd not make it back in time to meet with her daughter. By the time Frank was ready to board her now late-day flight, She said she was number eight on the standby list, with zero seats available. So Frank was surprised when the gate at the agents called her and told her to board. Frank says she and her luggage were escorted to her seat by a man with a vaguely familiar face. But she initially didn't think much much else of it and settled in. It was only as her flight prepared to land in Atlanta that the pilots announced the Delta CEO was riding in the cockpit jump seat as a special guest. 
Frank says that's when it hit her about the man who, with the familiar face. The Delta CEO, and this isn't a, if you really think about the story, it's not a great Delta commercial, but the Delta CEO takes and says, this is a small thing, guys. He says, I, I'm going to give my seat to this lady. Now, does he have every right to be on any seat he wants to be on as a CEO of this company? Of course he does. Of course he does. And could he have gone up and said, you know what, just give her, her my seat and, th- and then be the end of it? And would he be kind of a hero of the day? Yeah, he'd be the hero of the day. But he didn't end it there. He took her luggage in for her even. It was a small thing with a profound impact on this lady. Now think about this story for a minute. All the media this week has been talking about how great this Delta CEO is and what a wonderful company it is to have a CEO who would give up his seat and escort her to, her, to his old seat and, give her, or, and take her luggage and everything. And they completely missed the fact that Delta jacked up her flights all day. <laughs> I didn't hear anybody talking about the fact that the two-hour flight took all day and it probably was Delta's fault. <laughs> but this is the kind of impact servant leadership has. It was a small thing, and at, at the time, I really believed that the, I don't know the guy, I don't know if he's a Christian or anything about him, but I know the principle of servant leadership works. I know that. At the time, he probably didn't think much of it. He probably just saw the lady there, had compassion on her, and said, you know what, I'm just going to give her my seat, and I'm going to help her in with her luggage. Frankly, it's, we'd all probably consider that's the right thing to do. That's an honorable thing to do, especially since he could just ride in the cockpit anyway. This is, this is what happens when we make the trade. The impact has been great. The publicity has been great. But more than that, the person who has served, I don't think she'll ever fly anything other than Delta. She has loyalty now. And I don't want that to be our motivation, but I, I want to I express that to show you that this kind of leadership, this kind of um, the, making the trade in the relationships, this works. And it wasn't a Delta CEO, it wasn't Patrick Lencioni or anybody else who came up with it. It works because God designed it that way. It works because God designed it that way. Three things happen when we choose to follow Jesus' example as servant leaders. Again, people with a pen, you can make notes here. Number one, love is expressed. Now, I'm going to give you my definition of love. I believe love, love is making the conscious decision to put somebody else's wants and needs before your own. I'll say it again. Love is the conscious decision to put somebody else's wants and needs before your own. Love is not a feeling. If it was, I'd be scared every time I, I did a, a, a wedding. Because I know probably within a couple of weeks those feelings are going to change. Love is not a feeling. Can I talk to the young people just for a minute that haven't been married yet? What you're seeing on Hollywood? Bunch of garbage. <laughs> bunch of garbage. Love isn't this great feeling of running through the airport and embracing somebody. It's an emotion. It's a feeling that's going to fade. It's only like that for a short period of time. Love is a conscious decision to put somebody else's wants and needs before your own. That's what love is. And love, I'm sorry, yeah, uh, when when we choose to follow Jesus' example as servant leaders, love is expressed. We're showing other people love when we do that. The second thing is this. Humility is developed. Now, how many of you would agree that humility isn't something that comes naturally to us? Okay. So some of you need convinced. You guys want to come hang out with my two boys for a while? My six-year-old and eight-year-old? 
and find out if, if humility is something that comes naturally. Or not just my boys, probably any boys. I'm going to pick on guys here for a minute because we're probably worse at this. You know, my boys are so competitive, like so competitive, that if you beat them at something, even like when I beat my like, eight-year-old at a, a, a basketball game or something, and of course he's this tall, so I should be able to beat him, right? He'll like cry. <laughs> he gets so angry that I beat him. And, you know, as, as funny as that may be, or as cute as it could be, it's really kind of annoying, but as cute as that could be, it's because humility doesn't come naturally to us. We want to beat other people. We, and, and, and that's kind of the essence of sports. Is we like this competitive thing because we like winning. I'll go so far as to say some of us like seeing other people lose. <laughs> Not me, of course. I've got that handled. So humility is developed. And the humility, think about this. As a leader, humility is developed not just in you, but the person you're serving. Again, go back to the story in that room where Jesus is washing his disciples' feet. Do you think that the people who are getting, the disciples as they're getting their feet washed were, were humbled by the experience? I think so. I certainly think so. So humility is developed. Finally, trust is nurtured. When people in a relationship start to see that we're not just out for ourselves, but we're out for them too, and that we're here to serve other people. We're here to show compassion. We're here to love other people. Trust is nurtured. And that's it's critical to healthy relationships. We have to have a trust in a relationship for it to be healthy. So those are the three things um, that are going to happen when we become servant leaders like Jesus. Love is going to be expressed. Humility is going to be developed. And trust is going to be nurtured. I talked earlier a little bit, very briefly, about our motivation. Now, we're talking about the Delta CEO. A lot of you uh, corporate people might have been saying, hey, that's, that's, that's good right there. You know, if, if, I, if I just make this just right, if I serve people in just a certain way, then maybe I'll get that kind of publicity. Or maybe people will really start following me. Motivation, I believe, is really important. I believe, in fact, I believe motivation is, is at the root of, of who we are and, and what we do. It drives what we do. Now, if your motivation is, is self-serving, you need, you need to be careful with that. Will it work? It, may, it still may work. You, you still may get the benefits that you want, but you're going to be stepping away from the plan of God. Our motivation to serve people should come from the humbling truth that God first served us. And he was not willing to let anything get in the way of serving us. Not even our sin. Because he allowed a way for us to have a relationship with him, even through sin. And that was by allowing his son to pay the ultimate price on the cross. I want you to think about that for a minute. Again, the God of this universe, the one who created all of us and all things, saw fit to climb up on a cross and die so that he can have a relationship with us. That's love. That is unbelievable love. And it's that love that I think ought to motivate us when we go to serve other people and the way we treat other people. What kind of leaders we become. There should be something different about Christian leaders. I have worked in other, in other secular jobs for Christian people who I walked away shaking my head thinking, there's no way that guy's a Christian. There's no way. 
Let us be a peculiar people. Let us be a people like Jesus, who do the unexpected. Let us be a type of people who take the authority that's been given to us and trade it in to be able to serve other people. That's, that's who we're created to be. It's only sin that gets in the way for us doing that. Now remember, there are other types, there are other forms of leadership. Servant leadership is really only one model of leadership. Is it the best? Well, I think we could probably go different places and get different recommendations. And when I think about getting different recommendations on the way we're going to lead, the way we're going to have uh, relationships, I, I think of a story in the book of First Kings. And if you have your Bible or your flat screens, go ahead and turn to First Kings, chapter 12. And we're going to start in verse 6, just looking at verses 6 and 7. The king Rehoboam took counsel with the old men who had stood before Solomon, his father, while he was yet alive, saying, How do you advise me to answer this people? And I'll give you context in a second. And they said to him, If you will be a servant to this people, and if you have a pen and you open your Bible, go ahead and underline the word servant. If you will be a servant to this people today and serve them and speak good words to them when you answer them, then they will be your servants forever. You see, the people just came to the king and said, King, we are worn out. Your dad gave us a lot of work to do. I mean, seriously, we're worn out. We're at our wit's end here. We need your help. We need you to step in and, and take some of this burden from us. So the king goes and does the right thing. He goes to seek counsel. And the first uh, people he goes to are, are the people, the older people who have been in this business for a while. And he gets good counsel from them. They say, you know what, why don't you look at your position as an opportunity to serve these people? And they were right when they said, if you do this, if you serve these people and you take some of this work from them, they are going to be some loyal followers from here on out. Your kingdom is probably going to grow. Your influence is going to grow. And good things are going to happen. But the king wasn't satisfied with that answer. And he goes and asks some younger guys, some of his friends that he grew up with. Guys, these people came up to me whining. They said they're working too hard. They said they want me to take some of their burden away from them. And these old guys I went to, they said I should listen to them and and, and treat them nicer and, and take away some of their work. What do you guys think? And the younger people said, forget that. You're the king. Give them twice as much work. That'll teach them. This is paraphrased, by the way. That's not King James. That'll teach them. We'll give them more work. If they have all this energy to be complaining about what they're doing now, let's see what they say when we give them more work to do. How do you think that worked out for the king? Because he took that at council, by the way. Do you think his kingdom flourished and his influence expanded? Not exactly. It did not work out too well for the king. He lost influence. In fact, his whole kingdom ended up being a big problem for him. The point here is this. The advice that he had gotten from the older people was advice he should have taken. If you will be a servant to this people today and serve them. It's what Jesus did. The king didn't have to take counsel and serve his people. Jesus definitely didn't have to come down and wash his disciples' feet and serve them. But it's what he did. 
And it's because it works. It's because it works because it's what God has designed for us to do. But how does this play out in my life? I can't necessarily serve everyone. That'd be exhausting. Who is it do I serve? And this might be seeming, seem overly simplistic, but we're going to go there anyways. But who do I serve and how can I serve them? Well, let's start with this. Let's, let's start by serving God. Let's start by serving God. Well, how do we go about serving God? Um, Spurgeon, a theologian who lived a long time ago, has a quote that I, I, I've probably said it here before. It's one of my favorite quotes. It's, Our great object of glorifying God is to be mainly achieved by the winning of souls. I'm going to say it again. Our great object of glorifying God is to be mainly achieved by the winning of souls. What does that mean? That means this. As humans, it's our job to give God glory. And the best, the number one way for us to be able to do that is win people to Him. How do I serve God? I share the good news of Jesus Christ with other people. How do you serve God? You share the good news of Jesus Christ with other people. I believe that Spurgeon is right. I believe that this is our primary duty as Christians is to be telling other people about the good news that Jesus came, he lived a perfect life, he died on the cross, he rose victorious over the grave, and because of his sacrifice, because of his service, we can have a relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Amen? That's good news, friends. See, he took his authority, he traded it for service, and took what we deserved, punishment, upon himself and traded it for reward for us. It's a great trade. I think we do pretty well in this trade. That's the heart of God. This is, in a sense, that's the gospel story right there. Just a couple of trades, if you want to remember it that way. If Jesus was willing to do that, and by the way, This meal, this Passover meal, when Jesus gets on his knees and washes his disciples' feet, hours, not days, hours before he is crucified. And he knew it. Think about the story again. All the things leading up to that day. And what was about to take place with Judas. Don't you think if it was us in that situation, there'd be a little bit of tension in the room? This guy, Judas, you know what he's up to. You know what he's up to. I think he'd be kind of looking over at him, being like, I can't believe this guy. After all I've done, after all we've been through, he's about to sell me out. Jesus, knowing what's about to take place, knowing the excruciating pain that he would endure, knowing that somebody in the room was about to go and sell him out. Again, the imagery here is awesome. He steps off his throne, takes off his robe, and puts on his waist a servant's cloth, knowing what's about to take place. Gets on his knees and washes his disciples' feet. Who should we serve? Friends, we should be serving God because he first served us. We should also be serving our family. I have to watch the time here. Or I'll go for a really long time. And you guys will be going, where's Dan? And some people will be like, yes. I preached here about a year and a half ago in Ephesians chapter 5, and I'm going to be really quick here. 
I absolutely love this text. I grew up in a kind of uh, um, legalistic type teaching. And especially when it came to relationships between women and men. And whenever I heard Ephesians chapter 5 preached, the emphasis was usually on women and wives submitting yourselves to your husbands. Somebody agrees. Where, where what happens, though, is Paul actually uses more than twice as many words to the men as he does to the women. And that somehow gets kind of skewed. But before he even talks to the wives or the husband, he gives this huge sweeping statement to all followers of Jesus that we should submit ourselves to one another out of fear of the Lord. So here's the big umbrella statement. Christians, submit yourselves to one another. And then he goes into specific relationships. And I'm talking about this because it has to do with making a trade. Trading some authority that's in a relationship and and deciding to use it to serve somebody else. Now, do wives in our culture have to submit to their husbands? No. It's a willful decision saying, you know what, God asked me to submit to my husband, I'm going to do it. I'm going to make that trade. I'm going to trade the authority that I have as a legal citizen of the United States, and I'm going to use it to serve my husband because God told me to. Now, guys, we're not going to stop there, and you're not off the hook. Because it goes on. Husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church, even willing to give your own life for her. Oh, man, that's heavy. So this is what happens. God takes these relationships, and it goes on to talk about um, a parent in, in Ephesians. It talks about your, your parent-child relationships and a, a servant-master relationship, and, and basically it would be like employer-employee in our context relationship, and, and how we, we relate to one another. And in each one of these, what happens is there's an authority given, and what we're to do with that authority is trade it in to serve one another. So wives, submit yourselves to your husbands. Husbands, you take that authority that's just been given to you, and you use it to serve your wife. And that's what this mutual submission ends up looking like. It's giving the authority back to one another. And saying, you know what, thank you for this, I'm going to serve you now. And it gives you an opportunity to serve one another. If everybody's going to hoard all the authority, really is not a good opportunity to serve one another. But it's not until we make that decision to trade that in, to serve, that we can actually serve one another. I've got a crank now. Um, we can also be serving our friends. We can serve our neighbors. How about this? What about our enemies? Can we serve our enemies? And what does that look like? There's a bit of debate as to when Judas left. Depends who you talk to. But it's widely believed Judas was in the room. He was still in the room. And Jesus got on his knees before Judas, knowing what was about to take place, and washed his feet. Does that blow your mind? What would you be doing? Would you be squeezing them maybe a little harder? Humility. This great servant attitude. This love that God has expressed to us. Even to his enemies. And can I tell you, before we have a relationship with Jesus, we're enemies of God. Before we've accepted his lordship, we're enemies of God. Our sin has key, is keeping us from him. And we're no better than Judas. That's heavy right there. But Jesus saw fit to go and die for his enemies so that his enemies could become friends and followers of him. 
going to have to wrap up here. I look around the room, I know a lot of you. I know a lot of you have a relationship with Jesus. You love Him dearly. Whenever I talk to any group, there's always some who come, but really can't say they have a relationship with Him. And I'll get back to the sermon leadership stuff, but this is more important right now. God loves you so dearly. He just loves you in an intense love. There is absolutely nothing that God will hold back from you. There isn't a resource that he has that he's going to say, this is too much or too good for you. Jesus gave his very best, holding nothing back. And whatever it is that's been stopping you from having a relationship with him, let it end this morning. Whatever it is that's kept you from saying, Jesus is going to be my Lord. Meaning, Jesus, I want to follow you. I don't even know what it means to be a Christian anymore. But I want to be a follower of Jesus. Maybe that's you this morning. And I'm going to invite the band to come up now. I didn't warn them about this, but band, if you're in the room, come on up. And as they come up, I want you to think about two things. Number one, do you have a relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? Do you have a relationship for the one who holds nothing back for you? Do you have a relationship for the one who came and died for your sins while we were still enemies with him? And for the rest of us, how are we treating other people? Do we treat other people that we have authority in a relationship with in a God-honoring way? Have we taken and made the trade using the authority that has been given to us in order to serve other people? If that's not too good for Jesus, it's not too good for us. It's time for some tough talk for us now. Jesus followers, be mindful of how you treat people you have authority of and relationships you have authority in. Be mindful of Jesus and what he did. Be mindful of the fact that Jesus, the Lord of the universe, was willing to get on his knees and wash some feet. Maybe there's some dirty, nasty, stinky feet in your life you need to be washing. I'm going to say a quick prayer, and this is, this is what we do at Chugach, and it doesn't, we don't do this too much here. But I'm going to say a quick prayer. I'm going to ask everybody to bow your heads and close your eyes. I'm going to ask that nobody's going to look around the room or anything like that. If you're sitting here today and you say, you know what, I can't say for certainty that I have a relationship with Jesus. I can't say with certainty that I have decided to make Him my Lord. But today is the day that I'm just going to be different. Today is the day that I'm going to decide to make Jesus the Lord of my life and I'm going to follow Him from here on out. That's where it's at, guys. Making that decision that's going to change your life forever. Many of us have made that decision already. Some of us, maybe not. If you haven't yet, I'm going to say a simple prayer. I just, I just want to encourage you to pray along with me. You, you can use similar words. You can do it quietly. You don't have to pray out loud, but this is the way it's going to go. Dear Heavenly Father, I know that I'm a sinner. I've, I've disobeyed you. I believe you sent your son Jesus to come die on the cross for my sins to take my punishment and to give me a reward. 
I believe that you raised him from the dead. And he now sits with you in heaven. Forgive me for where I failed you. Send your spirits to come live in me, to guide me, to direct me, to become a better follower of you. With everybody's heads down and eyes closed, if you just said a prayer like that, or that prayer for the first time in your life, and today is the day that you say, you know what, I'm going to step from death into life. I'm going to make Jesus the Lord of my life. Would you just flip up your hand? Nobody else is going to look around but me. I just want to pray for you. I'm not going to have you come forward or anything like that. Okay. Dear Heavenly Father, God, thank you for those who are here, Lord. God, thank you for the people who are here that follow you. Thank you for the people who are here today who are deciding for the first time to follow you as, your, as, as Lord in their lives. God, I do pray that you send your Holy Spirit to guide us and direct all of us. God, for the rest of us, thank you, Lord, for the opportunity for us to learn to be servant leaders. Thank you for giving us authority in relationships. And please, God, remind us on a continual basis how we're supposed to deal with that authority. Lord, help us to be better servant leaders. Help us to be better followers of you. God, we ask it in your mighty and holy name. Amen.